Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Lily Wang, PhD. Uh, She's an instructor at Mount Sinai uh, in medicine and infectious diseases. So, Lily, thanks for coming. How are you doing? I'm good, good. How are you? Yeah. Tell me a bit about your uh, background. You're, you're an instructor, you're a PhD. Um, what's your background in, in what you teach and how long have you been at it? Mm, I have been in the virology field for about 14 years. I was doing herpes virus in my PhD program. And afterwards, I came to New York uh, at Monsanto School of Medicine doing HIV cell-to-cell spread. And at present, I'm still working on HIV in Dr. Ben Chen's lab. And I uh, also mentor some PhD students uh, for their uh, lab training and techniques. And that's my work as an instructor. <laughs> um, yeah, about this. Okay, well, very good. Um, are you doing any research or is it uh, mostly teaching? What, what are your uh, day-to-day work? I did work? 80% work in uh, research. Okay, yeah, and you got to do a little teaching on the side. I got gotcha. you. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So uh, what specifically, what is your research about? What are you trying to figure out about, uh, I believe you said HIV? Yeah, people usually think HIV transmitted in the form of free viral particles. But very, not so many people know that HIV can also transmit in the form of cell-to-cell. That uh, it's through a very fantastic structure called virological synapse. And if you have a microscope and with a fluorescent, you can see there is a beautiful button structure formed between the infected cell and the target cell. And you can see the virus material transfers through the button into the uh, in target cell. That's very amazing. And maybe in the future, people should think, uh, include this uh, form of transmission. So for the vaccine design and the drug, and that might be more effective. So how, how specifically does the mechanism work? Would you mind talking about it for a moment? Uh, the HIV has only one surf- surface protein that we know called envelope protein. And this envelope protein can interact with a target cell surface receptor called CD4. So the CD4 envelope interaction will trigger uh, the formation of virological synapse. And in this way, the virus can more specifically and more efficiently target it to the uh, uninfected cell. And at the same time, with, uh, without uh, uh, detected by the immune system or less detected by the immune system. So that's a way that's highly efficient and uh, very smart. Oh, wow. Well, if you wouldn't mind, um, I'd like to have you back in the near future to talk about HIV specifically and, and this research, if that's okay with you. Uh, I think so. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, yeah. No, that's fascinating. Um, just one more question about this synapse effect. Um, <clears throat> if you look at it under electron microscope, you know, does the virus envelope fuse with the, the cell that it's attempting to, uh, 
you know, inject its genetic material into, or how does it act as a synapse? Why do they call it that? Because it really looks like an adhesive structure. And if you uh, have the fluorescent and proteins enlighten the envelope protein or the gag protein, you can see a very specific structure that connects the donor and the target cell. Okay, gotcha. Well, if you're ready, let's, let's get on to the, uh, the questions here. Um, so, uh, first one is, uh, do, you, do you believe that viruses are alive, you know, and why or why not? It's hard to say because uh, the virus cannot uh, live without a cell, but it can replicate. It can make thousands and millions of copies of itself. In this way, it's like a live thing, but without a cell, it cannot do anything. And it feels dead in this way. So uh, it's hard to say. Okay, I just wonder, you know, um, if, you know I've, I've given this example to a lot of people. Um, if I look at this, a seed, and then I look at the plant that comes from the seed, you know, the plant is obviously alive, but is mm -hmm. the seed alive? Is it contingently alive when it's in the right soil with mm -hmm. moisture and everything? Mm -hmm. So when we think about viruses, if we think about the virion stage, people say, oh, yeah, it's not alive. But once it enters a cell or when it fuses, it enters, now all of a sudden, it seems to have all the hallmarks of being alive. So perhaps mm -hmm. they're contingently alive. What, what do you think? Mm, because the virus uh, take advantage of the cell mechanism to replicate itself. And it has all the mm, you know, elements for its early and uh, late expression of a series of proteins. That's a cascade. So once it enters the cell, the whole process begins. And it's very uh, delightfully um, you know, controlled. And in the time and a special, very coordinated manner. And that's, that's, I think that's thousands of years uh, of evolution um, it is to realize this whole thing. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, viruses have many different entry mechanisms. You know, some are uh, endocytosed, mm -hmm. you know, some like a, a phage, like a T4 phage will have mm -hmm. tail fibers that will touch the, the membrane and screw itself in and Others I've seen, uh, they'll, they'll like bite onto a, the pillus of a bacteria and when the pillus is retracted, it pulls the virus in. Mm. How do you think and why are there so many different mechanisms of entry that are so sophisticated? Where does that come from? Mm. But, uh, yeah, there are different forms of entry, but uh, the essence of it is you have to have a receptor Usually the envelope, usually the, uh, every virus has its specific uh, receptor. That's, uh, that's make the, uh, you know, that makes the species have different viruses, like uh, human virus may not infect a cat like this. And there is a, the, you know, uh, limitation of the species because the specificity of the uh, receptor on cell all on any host surface. But how do you think that all these different mechanisms evolved? I mean, you know, do you think it was just blind random mutation or it's deliberate? Mm, it's definitely not a deliberate. And I think, I, I believe everything in virus is very carefully selected because that's, uh, that's behind that, that's many, many years, uh, thousands of years or millions of years evolution. 
So nothing involves in such a delicate structure with all the mechanism it cannot be just that randomly. It's all selected in one direction for its aim to suitable for the uh, propagation of the virus. Well, if, uh, you know, like some viruses will get inside a cell and multiply and blow it open and kill it, you know, they'll be lytic. Some mm -hmm. are either lysogenic or latent, so hang out in mm -hmm. a cell and maybe even be beneficial to it. I don't know, you know, for years or even the lifetime of the organism. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes they'll change their, their behavior back to lytic and they'll blow it open. And then some, like retroviruses, can endogenize into the host's uh, genetic material. So how and why are there these different mechanisms of, uh, I guess I'll call it viral life? Like, why, why does this, uh, these three different things happen? And what governs whether one thing's happening or not? Uh, yeah, there are many virus have a latency uh, period. Like what I did previously, the herpes virus can also um, have a latency period with uh, episomes uh, structure in the nucleus. And HIV also can latently infect the host cell. And once there is a trigger and the, the virus can again enter the lytic cycle and uh, produce thousands of viruses. And I think that depends on the uh, environment of the virus. Uh, if the environment is, is uh, good, is, uh, um, it's good for its uh, proliferation and there is a trigger, it can, it can uh, it, 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 uh, it can detect that uh, signal and uh, tell the virus that it's a good time for you to replicate and produce thousands of your copies. And then the virus uh, got that signal and get triggered and then in, enter the lytic cycle, then kill the host cell and produce thousands of them. That's the latent virus is waiting for a chance. So uh, their ultimate aim is still replicate more, get more copies, get the genome, the, the, the information of the virus itself um, more. Yeah, but so what do you think is the sensing apparatus of a virion versus the sensing apparatus of just the naked RNA or DNA, the, the genetic payload of the virus? How can just a string of uh, RNA or DNA have a sensing apparatus where it can do all these complicated things? It's weird, you know? Mm, there is a mechanism in that. So in my previous study in the herpes virus, there is a, a molecular switch, it's like a, works like a switch, it's called a transactivator um, element. When there is some uh, proper uh, uh, signal outside, like a heat, it's very hot, the, the temperature is hot, or there is some um, change in the iron concentration, something like that. And it will activate the, the uh, transactivation element. And this element, just like a switch, will uh, turn the signal on and the virus will begin to uh, transcript its genome and produce more viral proteins and enter the cycle. So there is, uh, I think many of the virus will have a, a switch similar to this that can sense in the outside signals. Do you think viruses have a sensing apparatus when they're the virion stage? You know, uh, the, yes. it's capsid, yes. in, in, you know, or tail fibers, things like that, if it has any? 
uh, it may not be in the protein form. Uh, sometimes it's uh, in the, you know, it's like uh, in the nucleotide form, like a transcription, you need some promote, you have promoters there, right? And some host uh, proteins or, uh, yes, usually it's host proteins and can uh, bind to that part of signal and then activate the transcription. That's all, all by chance, by the uh, change of the outside. Yeah, well, okay. Um, if, uh, if I had a cell and I sucked out all the contents so that it was pretty much empty mm. and I just had the membrane intact or all the receptors and everything, mm. and then if I introduced it to a virus, do you mm. think the virus would fuse and enter or do you think it would sense something is wrong and abort and not enter and not complete its injection of genetic material? Uh, that depends on the virus entry mechanism. Uh, usually the virus entry by binding to its surface, cell surface uh, receptor and then fused by its uh, own, you know, like HIV, it needs a CD4 and a co-receptor and then it can fuse. Uh, but even like this, it can enter the cell, can fuse with the cell and release its nucleus into the cytoplasm. As you said, there's no uh, cellular components in it already. The, the, this will not lead to a productive infection. The virus will die. No, it's not called dies. will not replicate. Okay, so you think if um, a molecular component is missing, that would make it stop, but it's not through any sensing and and discernment and then change of action. Yes, if, because the virus needs a cell mechanism to replicate. Gotcha, okay. Um, no, let me see. Hmm. What, um, I, I'm sure you've heard of quasi-species. Um, when we're infected by a virus, how much diversity is there in the, uh, in the genetic code of the virus that's infecting us? And do you think that um, a virus, uh, somehow has like an identity, you know, I know I'm this particular sequence and these other quasi-species are close enough to me that we'll all infect or uh, we'll, we'll kind of fight each other. You know, do, have you seen any examples of viruses once they infect the cell, they, there's a competitive type mechanism where they stop another virus from infecting the cell? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Another different virus or another virus that's just another same virus. Well, like, you know, once, once a cell is infected with HIV, mm. um, can it prevent super infection? Once a cell yeah, is yes, infected by yeah. herpes, can it, can it prevent other infections? Yes, in my, uh, in my research, the HIV, uh, for example, when uh, HIV enters a cell, it can downregulate the surface CD4 expression. That means if another HIV virus want to enter this cell, that would become more difficult because the surface uh, receptor is downregulated. There are not so many CD4 there. So why do you think that would happen? I mean, you know, it's like a dog guarding a bone and going, you know, stay away. <laughs> why would, how would a virus do, you know, how, would a, how and why would a virus do that? Because usually if one virus can successfully enter a cell, it can uh, start its productive infection already. It's not necessary to get more uh, copies of it enter one cell. 
we can save the virus to another cell. So they, uh, maybe they, uh, this mechanism ensures that the virus can infect as much cell as possible in this way. Mm, okay. Mm. Um, one second, let me grab another question. Do you, do you see um, that other processes in, um, in cells and bacteria that are, are virus-like? Like if you look at a plasmid, you know, they can be given off by a bacteria, they contain genetic material, they can enter into other bacteria, they can change the bacteria's gene, you know, uh, gene expression, et cetera. They can even you know, change its DNA. Um, same thing with extracellular vesicles in, in people and other creatures. You know? um, do you see these as viral-like mechanisms or are they you know, completely independent? Yeah, the, the plasmids, yes, from the bacteria, yes. That's a very amazing kind of, uh, you know, genomics information that can replicate. But it's not a virus. You, you, in my experiment, the plasmids usually is ma manipulated by transfection and to enter the cell. And in the nature, I'm really how the we're not too sure the, the how the plasmid uh, transmit through one bacteria to another bacteria should be a different mechanism uh, from the viruses and the the plasmid seems a shared information between the the population of the bacteria it's a it's a well, beneficial one i feel <laughs> yeah the the reason why i say this is that you know viruses are tools you know, they're used by bacteria. They'll take pieces of their, their DNA or RNA and incorporate it for immunity. Mm. You know, I've, I've seen examples of bacteria that uh, take viral DNA and, and recreate the spike protein on their own membranes and use mm. it to poke holes in their enemies. You know, I, so I wonder if all cellular life, bacteria, our cells, viruses, et cetera, you know, if all cellular life can use viruses as tools and viruses certainly seem to use cellular machinery to its own ends as its own tool. So that's why I wonder, you know, if you look at again, extracellular vesicles, they're virus like, they may not be exact viruses in themselves, but I wonder if this is just another manifestation of uh, this trading of, of ability and this use of tools. Yeah, that's, that sounds amazing. I'm not so familiar with that, but you, you said this information is very, interesting mm. the i think the sometimes at the, uh, the information of the genetics might be both beneficial for both the host and the viruses or the, the plasmid as you said and uh, it's like you know the crispr mechanism the, the uh, bacteria can take in the uh, virus uh, fragments and uh, and uh, store it in its own genomic uh, genomes. And the next time the virus enter, the there will be a defensive mechanism against that virus. And yeah. Yeah. Mm. But well, if you if you, uh, if you look at a um, you know all the phages, let's say that prey on a given bacteria, mm. you know we call it their phageome. I'll just make up that word. It doesn't exist. Do you think that the phageome of a bacteria? you know, contributes to its immunity and is like an integral part of its immunity? And what other roles might it play for the bacteria? Yeah, I think you're right. Because uh, as, we, as a 
common knowledge is that we know that uh, if you want to find a, a phage against one bacteria, you just uh, look for it around the environment, environment where the, this specific bacteria locates. They are always together. So they can uh, coexist for such a long time and uh, there should be some mutual beneficial effect there, right? There's a balance between the bacteria and its phage and both of them can exist and then co-evolution, right? Yeah, like, you know, like cholera, when it's infected by a certain virus, now it has the ability to be pathogenic to people, you know? So I, I just wonder if, um, if our virome, um, we, may, we can't see it, I guess, but I wonder if it can confer beneficial effects to our cells because a bacteria's phageome seems to do that, you know? whether it's the bacteria plucking elements of the viruses that it wants as tools or, you know, the viruses influencing the bacteria. I wonder with our own cells, you know, our somatic cells, um, if our virome plays a similar role. I, I think so. You know, our ancestors, when they are infected by a certain ancient virus, sometimes they can store this information into the genome. In, in fact, the... Uh, inside the human genome, a large amount of the, the sequences from the endogenous uh, retroviruses. There are <laughs> many of them, maybe can come to 10 to 15% of the whole genome. They are in fact from the, the ancient uh, retroviruses. So I guess they might, yeah. Maybe not only retro, uh, retroviruses, maybe there are also other viruses. I think that the store, storage of this information may help the uh, human beings to fight against those species of viruses better with an unknown mechanism, right? Okay. Um, you know, if, if I think of a virus infecting a cell, I think of like one virus and one cell, you know, it's, it, it infects it and that's it. Do you think that there are cases where multiple viruses will, you know, let's say attack a cell at once and they'll coordinate entry? You know, are there any cases you know of where two viruses are needed or three or a hundred are needed to get into a certain uh, cell to infect it? And do they coordinate action? Mm, I'm not sure if that exists in the physiological conditions, but in, uh, in the lab conditions, sometimes we use very high titers of virus and to infect a, a cell. Usually it's a saturated concentrations of virus and infect. And uh, there sh should be, in fact, we did both uh, green, we marked the virus with uh, green uh, protein and the red protein. And you, yes, you can see both of the viruses enter the same cell because you can see both color. And and uh, coordinate. Uh, as I said previously, we, we know the uh, one virus enter, like HIV, it entered and it can downregulate uh, certain surface protein of the infected cell. I think those proteins could be uh, beneficial or detrimental for the, the other virus to enter. So there is a mechanic of some. There, uh, the entry of virus and the the expression of certain viral proteins definitely will 
uh, remode the environment inside the cell. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so this might, might be beneficial for another or, or not. That's a complicated thing. It is, yeah, I know. All these questions are, uh, I know they're, they're, <laughs> they're really tough questions, but you know, why not? So, um, <clears throat> okay, just a, a few more. Um, so do you think that, uh, I mean, what do you think is the interaction, let's say in our guts, you know, we've got our own somatic cells, mm. we got our virome, we've got our microbiome, we've got our mycobiome, mm. we've got phages all over the place. What do you think this, this interaction is like in our guts, let's say, um, you know, where a lot of the activity is happening? Are our cells communicating directly with phages or our virome or our bacteria? Do you think like all these parties are communicating and either working with each other or not or fighting each other? Like what, what do you think it's like in there? If we miniaturized you and, and put you in the gut, like what would you see with all these players hanging out in there? Uh, we... I think it's already established uh, information about the gut with uh, bacteria. You know, the, there's uh, different the bacteria, uh, there are different species of them. There are several of them is beneficial for the human being, and it it can be deemed as part of the human body, in fact, because the, uh, it can, um, you know, like the E. coli, the the balance of the the bacteria in the gut uh, if it's disrupted then people will get you know get ill get the uh, you know the diarrhea something like that and as i believe the virus might also play a role in that but it's very uh, very well balanced or adjusted it's just like the bacteria there might there should be a balance there and you you, you cannot uh, disrupt it if it's disrupted the, the balance and it might cause disease. Mm. But okay. I, I really don't have an example as my prediction from the bacteria. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to know. I just wonder, like, if you think about it, what do you think is, is going on, you know? Mm. Yeah, I just wonder, you know, again, is, uh, is the communication amongst, you know, all the players or is the communication only amongst some of the players, you know? That's why I wondered, so. Mm. Yeah, I guess, I don't know if anyone knows at this point, it's so complicated in there. So, okay. Um, what do you think came first, uh, viruses or cellular forms and why, you know, back in evolutionary history? I still feel cellular life forms begins first. Okay, but why do you think, why do you think uh, viruses couldn't be first? Because virus need the, need the cell mechanism to replicate, so, it should be the cellular life forms comes first. And the virus might originate from some kind of, you, just you mentioned, kind of a plasmid. There's uh, information transmitted between uh, the cellular life, like the original uh, bacteria, something like that. And later, the, these, in, these plasmids, like things like uh, um, material, then they gain the ability to assemble to produce the structural proteins and assemble themselves into a virus-like thing. So that's a later thing and make them easier to transmit between the, the cells. So I think the very original, uh, the viruses might be just a simple plasmid. 
Oh, do you think viruses evolved from um, a, a plasmid that like yeah, went crazy like or that. adapted? Hmm, yes. Interesting. Okay. It's not so, uh, confirmed. That's only my pre <laughs> assumption. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. This is all speculation, but that's okay. You know. Yeah, I, I try to do questions that no one knows and no one may figure out for many years. But I think the speculation is really informative. It gives you know readers and listeners ideas on experiments yeah, they yeah. can do. The, so these questions are good for for us, the, the young scientists. I think normally the um, the the uh, uh, famous professors they are very. Uh, you know, uh, very alert to these things. They will not come to a conclusion unless they saw the data. Uh, but for the yeah. people like us, uh, the young one, uh, we like to imagine and see what they're curious about everything and see what it looks like, at least in imagination. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Mm -hmm. So just, just a couple more questions. Do you think, um, like, what role do you think phages play in antimicrobial resistance? you know, in, in bacterial resistance to uh, antibiotics. What role do phages play, like the phageome of a bacteria? Uh, just as you said, and as we mentioned before, the uh, virus infection to uh, a bacteria might uh, lead to the bacteria store the information of this specific virus and then render it new features against this kind of virus. And it may also uh, get the information from the virus that um, might be, uh, uh, you know, introduce other features like the, the antibiotics uh, ability. It's possible, quite possible. Mm. Yeah, I wonder if you, if you perturb a bacterial population with an antibiotic, if that, you know, again, some will die, some will not, but how does it change the phageome? Do phages suddenly come into play and, you know, the bacteria says, uh, I need a defense. And it, it looks in its phage library, quickly turning the pages and, and grabs, you know, uh, some, some genetic material from one of the phages and incorporates it. And now it can, it can fight off the antibiotic, you know? Yeah, that, that's quite, I, I think that's, this, this presumption is amazing. Yes, that's quite possible. It, it, like if you have the, pressure, like you add uh, antibiotics to the, the bacteria, and most of them died, and only those with resistance lived. And I think those one with, has a plasmid with a, uh, uh, antibiotics resistance. And I think the replication of these bacteria, the, the left uh, bacteria, also have the plasmids pro uh, propagated has more of the plasmid and we can trans, uh, transfer this information to the other, to the neighbor bacteria. And mm -hmm. yes, get the whole population immune, like immune to the new antibiotics. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. Hmm, okay, well, I guess just, uh, last question. Um, overall, what, what roles do you see viruses playing in evolution, adaptation, speciation? Yes, that's a great question. So usually people deem the virus as a bad thing, as a, you know, cause diseases, uh, yes, cause many troubles like COVID-19. But in fact, in, if you look in the evolutionary view, I think the virus plays a very important role and it contributes to it a lot. Uh, we have to thank the, the viruses. They 
um, they molded uh, what we are right now. We are now resistant to many different uh, infection, either bacterial or the viral infection. I think that's uh, we we owe a lot to our ancestors fighting against all these viruses. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So I think it, because of this competition be, between the host and the virus, that's uh, resulting in the modern people, modern world uh, of the whole uh, bio, you don't know how to say that, biosphere. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there is a, the, the virus has to, you have to say it's a driving force of the evolution. Mm. Okay. Yeah, and the fact that we have uh, a lot of viral DNA in us that, you know, that, we've, that has been endogenized, uh, you know, we're part virus. It's weird. Yeah, they've, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. They've guided our evolution quite a bit, you know. Mm -hmm. So, okay, well, very good. Uh, Lily, what's the best way for people to find out more about your research and uh, your instruction? Where can they go? Mm, just go to our lab's website and you can find me. And if you are interested in me, you can just uh, go to PubMed or Google, just type in Lily Wang, HIV cell to cell, and you'll, you'll find papers there. Excellent, excellent. Lily, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No problem. I'm happy to share my thoughts, although some of them might be not so mature. It's <laughs> yeah. okay. It's okay, yeah. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.